thanks for being here this morning and happy new year right Woo! here we are we made it 2021 it's all different now right totally different yeah it's not different it is different right uh anthony's killing my new year's vibe already this morning uh well here let me just be honest with you the gamages uh we really we really partied pretty hard on new year's let me show you a picture of what new year's eve looked like for the gamage family um this is at about 11 o'clock on new year's eve uh that is me and my wife sarah asleep and my two teenage children very much awake um now admittedly later on right i I did wake up to see the ball drop but uh quite frankly between you know binging our favorite comedy yet another show and uh watching the uh personalities on Times square that was trying to make up for the million people who weren't there uh we just kind of got tired and sleepy and fell asleep but here's a question Um, if you were my children seeing us respond to new year's in this way what would be uh, your conclusions about how we felt about it other than your conclusions of they're tired or they're old or you know whatever that may be uh, what conclusions might they draw about our feelings of new year's well they may be thinking um you know they're they don't really care <laughs> about uh new year's they're they're not caring about what's going on there because they're not responding to this event that's happening right they're sleeping straight through it well, in a way, this is a frivolous way to get at a more serious question that many of us might approach God with and really are wrestling through how does God feel or, or what's our take on God when we feel like he is not responding, when he is not moving in response to some of the hardships that we face. Is he asleep? Does he not care? As God watches the pandemic unfold and the loss of life, the loss of our business, the loss of economic growth, of, as He sees the moral chaos, as He sees top-down corruption and injustice, as He sees us not being able to catch a break, as He sees us being faced with bullies as our businesses flounder, as He sees us trying to love someone who may not love us back, and we perceive Him as quiet, is He asleep? Does he simply not care? You see, I I believe that that really is the default of the human heart, is that we believe that when God is not moving, that he doesn't care, at least when he's not moving the way we expect him to, that he doesn't care. And for many of us, maybe we go, uh, maybe he doesn't even exist. Have you ever thought those thoughts? Well, friends, this morning we're going to jump into a book of the Bible that my guess is, as few of us have studied, But it's actually pretty pertinent to a time like this. It's the book of Habakkuk. And really, if I were to say the thesis of this entire book, it's it's this. It's that God is at work in history, even when history doesn't make sense. That God is at work in history, even when history doesn't make sense. Even when it seems like he may be asleep. Even when it seems like he may not be responding. So this morning, we're going to wrestle this out as we look into a very hard history of God's people, as we look at his strange perceived inactivity, and then finally, as we wrestle with the hows of God's work, and and we're challenged by how God is actually at work in history. 
And so if you have your Bibles, open in them to Habakkuk. For those of you with handheld devices, you're thrilled that you use a handheld device and you can just open the table of contents and click on Habakkuk. Those with print Bibles are having a little bit of a panic attack right now, feeling like you're going to be outed by not knowing your table of contents. Let me just give you a tip on where to find Habakkuk. It's the fifth book from the end of your Old Testament. It's nestled in between Nahum and Zephaniah, and I had to look that up. Uh, And so don't be ashamed right now if you have to open your table of contents. It's okay, all right? So Habakkuk, chapter 1. We're going to be reading 1 to 11, but I'm going to start off uh, by reading verses 1 to 4. And so, again, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and read along with me. It'll also be up on the board. But the first four verses, here's what's written. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk 1, 1 1-4. Let me pray for us as we get going here this morning. Well, Father... These are hard days, and they've been hard for a long time. Yet I have just been so thankful that you give us books like Habakkuk, where your people walk through hard times, where they, they ask you the hard questions, and Lord, you welcome them. And so, Lord, I pray that you will take not only this sermon, but this month as we sit in this book, and Lord, may you make our hearts move towards you, for the heart that is cold towards you? And Father, would you encourage the heart that is faint? Lord, would you give us eyes of faith to see that even if we're not perceiving your work, to trust that you really are at work? So Holy Spirit, will you speak in and through me, and would you soften our hearts to your word this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, so let's first start off looking at the hard history, where God is at work in the hard history of his people. And we're going to do so starting off here with this first main point, looking at what's a Habakkuk, when's a Habakkuk, and why Habakkuk, all right? So first of all, what's a Habakkuk? You know, I mean, maybe we haven't even heard this word before in our entire lives. Well, verse 1 gives us an idea of exactly what we're talking about with this word Habakkuk. It's the name of a man. It's the name of this prophet, Habakkuk. This is an oracle or a a vision that the Lord gave this prophet. And and, and let me, he's a prophet to Judah. And so when I say he's a prophet to Judah, you may be confused uh, about what Judah actually is. Uh, And so here's a map of really the nation of Israel. So um, so, you know, it was one nation state, right, through David and then his King David and his son Solomon. And then after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel actually divided. So you had the northern kingdom, Israel, where most of the tribes ended up siding with. And then you had the southern kingdom of Judah, which is where the Davidic throne, David's throne, the heir to that throne, continued to reign. And it was really Judah and really one other small tribe. And so they've separated, and, and Israel has had its uh, difficulty at this point, and Assyria has, uh, has conquered them and taken them into captivity. And now Judah is on the cusp of heading in that same direction. And so Habakkuk is a prophet going 
to them to uh, basically talk to them, to warn them, or at least that's what prophets typically do. Prophets are usually mouthpieces of God, basically calling them back to faithfulness, to following after God. And at this point, Judah is a mess. At this point, Judah has begun following other gods. They're sacrificing their children to these other gods. They're killing the very prophets that come to say, hey, follow after the one true God. They're enacting injustices towards one another at this point, among many other things. And and here we have this prophet Habakkuk, and this is very different. So he's not just going out warning the people. This is actually a dialogue between him and God, and it's a lament. It's a complaint that he raises to God, and it is very personal. I read this book a couple of years ago. uh, Well, the last time I read it was a couple years ago, and I just wrote at the top of the Bible, what an unbelievably personal interaction between God and one of his creatures, right? It's beautiful how God and Habakkuk interact together. So that's what what a Habakkuk is. It's a prophet to Judah. Here's the second question. Uh, When's Habakkuk? When does this book actually take place? Well, it's in the final days of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were the world's superpower at the time, and this is just as Babylon, which is going to be referred to as the Chaldeans, are getting ready to take over or rise to power. So this is about 597 to 605 B.C. And here's another map. Uh, So you'll see uh, over here, that's the map I just showed you of Israel and Judah. This is kind of the greater uh, Middle Eastern scene. So you'll see Assyria. They're kind of the uh, the, the, the big um, superpower at the time. But you'll see Babylon right there. They were just starting to gain strength. And so Habakkuk's contemporaries, if you're reading your Bible, are Zephaniah and Jeremiah, if you want to know a little bit more about what was going on there. But here's the big question is why? Why does this book exist? What's really going on behind the question and answer between Habakkuk and God? And really, It's this wrestling match between Habakkuk and God uh, in this man's journey to square what he sees in the world around him, the injustices, the suffering, and what he knows about God. He's looking at what's before him and saying, this doesn't match up to you being holy and just and good and in control of everything. Is this really true? You know, it's really this debate of the existence of God, not so much based on the scientific. So when people were trying to disprove God in the late 1900s, it was largely scientific in nature, looking at ideas of atheistic evolution and and so on and so forth. But, you know, if you pay attention to people who, especially who are under 40 these days, when people are walking away from the faith, it's not because they can disprove God scientifically largely. And this is Uh, anecdotal, but I think it goes even beyond that. It's because of the problem they have with looking at history, in fact, uh, history being life as they see it in that moment, and not being able to square it with God. And so in a way, Habakkuk is a beautiful book because he is a mirror reflecting the struggle found within God's people. This is what I see. This is who you say you are. They're not coming together. I need help. So friends, do you struggle with God in this way? What you see and squaring it with what you you know to be true of God as you read the pages of Scripture? Habakkuk will be our friends if you do, because he dives into this very topic. Let's look at the second main point, the strange inactivity that we find here in the pages. And and here's where we're going to jump into uh, the text a little more. Now, here's what I want you to know going into it. 
that as Habakkuk is talking about injustice and suffering and oppression, he's not talking about those who are outside of God's people. These are the very people who say, I follow the one true God. They're the ones doing some of the most evil things in the world at this time. And Habakkuk is looking at it going, what is going on? Did you take your hands off the wheel all of a sudden? First thing we see here is individual moral failures. Verse 2, or verse, yeah, verse 2. He's crying to God, violence. I see violence between God's people. Iniquity, that's just another word for sin or rebellion. In verse 3, there's destruction happening among God's people. And then in verse 3, strife and contention arise. That sound familiar? Maybe, maybe in the church right now, a little bit of strife, a little bit of contention. So there's individual moral failures. There's also systemic moral failures, right? It's not just the individuals who are rebelling against God. Here we see total failure of of the legal system. Verse 4, the law is paralyzed. That word paralyzed is numb. The law is numb to the injustices that are going on around them. Ineffective. Verse 4, we see a picture uh, of, of oppression. The wicked surround the righteous. And it's saying at the end, the very law of Moses that's meant to be guide rails to uh, God's people, it's been totally perverted and they don't work anymore. That's how bad things have gotten in Israel. So first off, let me ask this question. Do you see the connection here between individual moral failures and systemic moral failures? You know, sometimes we're really quick uh, to raise our fist at the system and its failures, and we fail to turn the camera back on ourselves and say, am I being faithful to God in His Word? Those things come together. That's at least part of the picture that we see here. Do you see the similarities between Habakkuk's time and our time? Is there contention and strife? Yes, even among churchgoers. Does it appear at times that the law has failed because of oppression and injustices? Yeah. Here's the hard part. God's silence. Verse 2. Habakkuk saying, Will you not hear? Are you deaf to these things? Verse 3. Why do you look idly at wrong? Have you ever asked that question? Here's a couple things I want you to note as we walk through this. First, the Bible doesn't shy away from the hard stuff. You know, if the Bible was just this big PR scheme, uh, he'd probably, God would probably see fit to leave Habakkuk out of the Bible, right? The beautiful part is God actually welcomes the complaints of his people. Now, I'm not saying we need to go to God and be irreverent, but, but there is something, like Tommy said, when we take our complaints to the right place, to God, and say why. He's not rebuking Habakkuk here. He actually responds. I know some of us are like, I really wish he'd respond to me in this moment like he does Habakkuk. But I want you to take some peace in the fact that we have room to struggle with God. Now, I'll be honest. Habakkuk is not going to offer us any easy answers. If you think by the end of the month you're going to have all your questions of evil and injustice answered, that's not what Habakkuk does, but it teaches us how to struggle. And it shows us God's faithfulness in the midst of our struggle. But here's one more takeaway, is that God sometimes remains strangely quiet in situations we feel should move Him to immediate action. 
That's just a hard truth that we see in this book, that God sometimes remains strangely quiet in situations we feel we should, that, that should move him to immediate action. Well, there's one website that um, I, I have friends who keep me accountable to never, ever visit, and it's called WebMD. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to WebMD, if you know what a WebMD is, but uh, it's a website where you can go and ask some medical questions and get a response. The reason I shouldn't go there is because, as I've shared before, I can be an anxious person, uh, and sometimes that works itself out medically with me. And with WebMD, it's like I hit my uh, finger with a hammer, and it's red and swelling. I'm going to look it up on WebMD and see what it says might be wrong. And it might start off, you hit your finger with a hammer. But oftentimes it ends in death. It's like your finger's swollen. Uh, it could be this, and it could be you're going to die. And I'm like, I hit my finger with a hammer, but it scares me to death. And I've been known before to have certain experiences in my body. In one situation in seminary, my hands and my feet tingle. And you know what I did? I went on WebMD and I Googled it. And just don't do it, okay? It is absolutely frightening what came up. And so I went to the doctor and I had my diagnoses in hand. And I basically said, Doc, here's what I'm experiencing. Here's what's wrong with me. Here's the scans you need to order. Uh, I'll just be sitting here as you write the scripts. And, and he basically looks at me and he's like, here's what I want you to try to do first. Breathe. What? He's like, I've noticed the whole time you've been here, you're not breathing. And your hands and feet are probably going numb and tingling because you're not breathing. You know what? He was right. And it kind of went away. You know, oftentimes... We treat God like God, M.D. We look at our surrounding circumstances and we go, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Here's my conclusion. God, fix it. This is exactly what you need to do in order to fix it. And what God pushes us to do here in the book of Habakkuk is saying, hey, don't run to God, M.D., to thinking you have all the answers as to how this works out. I want you to approach me with the eyes of of faith. And that's what this last section we're going to read here is actually talking about. God saying, I'm actually doing something totally different than what you are expecting. So pick back up with me in verses 5 to 11. God answers Habakkuk. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Stop. Think about that. In the midst of Habakkuk's complaint, do you think for a second Habakkuk is going, but I'm sure you're up to something that is astounding? No. But God's saying, I am working behind the scenes in ways you can't even see. Let's continue on. Verse 6, here's some unexpected. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press loudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoffed, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. They sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. So a couple of things. One, uh, when we look at the challenges of how God is actually at work, the first thing we see is God is always doing unseen work. 
And that's really hard for us. He's always doing work that's unseen. There's three imperatives. He's saying, look, in verse 5, wonder and be astounded. I am doing it. And you know, there's a little bit of a nod to the hardness and the stubbornness of our own hearts here. He's saying, even if I told you, even if I were to map it out, you wouldn't believe me. Here's the second part, and this is the hard part. And honestly, we're not going to answer this this week. We'll get more into this next week. But, but not only do, are we challenged by God's unseen work, we're challenged by His unusual tools. What's the tool that He says, I'm working through in this context? What's well, the Babylonians? Do you see the description? Verse 6, they're bitter, they're fierce. Verse 7, they're a law unto themselves. Verse 8, they're hasty. Verse 9, they're harmful. Verse 10, they're hardened. And in verse 11, they don't give a rip about God. What did it say their God is? It's their muscles. It's their strength. It's their chariots. They want nothing to do with Yahweh, the one true God. Now, I could imagine if I were Habakkuk in this moment, I'd be like, wait a second. I'm complaining to you about violence among your people, and you're going to send greater violence? That's hard, isn't it? Next week, Habakkuk gets into the Q&A with God about that. But, but here's one verse I want to read us as we wrestle through this as well. As God uses unusual tools that we would never expect to accomplish His will. And it's Isaiah 55. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than than your thoughts. So this takes us all the way back to our last sermon series where we looked at the Ark of Scripture and that beginning of creation where there is a big C creator, a line, and then the creature, the creation. And that line is distinctive. God is different than we are. So let's start looking at some application here as we begin to wrap up. And this is what I would just say at the beginning. Again, four-part series, so let's hang in there as we keep going forward. But, but I think the main prayer for us as a church and for followers of Christ is to say, God, give me the eyes of faith to see these things. Here's four things. One, God, give us the eyes of faith to see your unexpected providences, to see your unexpected work. I think part of what we see here is sometimes the answers are sometimes harder than the questions. Lord, give us the eyes of faith when we're faced with your unexpected providences. Second, God, give us the eyes of faith to trust that you're at work even as you use unusual instruments. Yes, even as you use presidents, rulers, dictators, neighbors, rebellious children, spouses we don't really like so much, rivals, enemies. Let me ask you a question. What is the unthinkable that God may be using right now as an instrument? Think about it. I know most of us are running to a president or a president-to-be, right? That's where we go in this day and age. Here's the thing. When we don't believe that God is using unusual instruments, instruments that we don't expect, we tend to take matters into our own hands. I am 100% convinced that this is why so many in the church are running to conspiracy theories on both sides of the political aisle. It's because we actually don't believe God can use unusual instruments to accomplish His work. We're thumbing our nose at faith 
And we're saying, never mind, God, I'm going to take this into my own hands. Jesus talks about the church being salt and light. Salt is a preservative. Preserving society, preserving and coming alongside of those who are struggling and suffering. And friends, what we see in the church at large right now isn't the church necessarily being salt and light as much as it is water getting into the cracks of the sidewalk in winter bringing division. And that's what happens when we fail to rest in God's providential care, even as he uses unusual instruments. Here's a third thing. Lord, give us the eyes of faith that you aren't simply telling us to know our roles and shut our mouths, but rather you're inviting us to follow the true Savior. Anthony, how are you getting to Jesus from Habakkuk? Well, hang with me for just a second. Right before that verse in Isaiah 55 where it says God's ways are not our ways, here are the two verses that precede it. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he might have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Those are the words that come right before when God says, my ways are not your ways. He's not just saying, I'm God, you're not. Just back off and sit back and watch and listen. All of the prophets are God's constant appeals to his people saying, you're constantly straying away from me. Come back. If you just come back, I will abundantly pardon. I will welcome you. He's working all of these things out for the ultimate salvation that we find in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Dane Ortland says this. He says, this picture of his compassion and abundantly pardoning before he begins to talk about his providences and his work is a profound consolation for us as we find ourselves time and again wandering away from the Father, looking for soul calm anywhere but in his embrace and instruction, returning to God in fresh contrition, however ashamed and disgusted with ourselves, he will not tepidly pardon. He will abundantly pardon. Friends, the arc of this story, even in Habakkuk, even in these hard times, takes us to a place in Acts chapter 13. Now, let me give you a tip as you're reading Scripture and you're trying to make sense of it. When you see uh, a verse in an Old Testament passage that's quoted in the New Testament, go to the New Testament and understand how the New Testament author is actually explaining its application. This verse, verse 5, is brought forth in Acts chapter 13. Paul is preaching uh, to uh, a group of Jewish leaders in Antioch, and he says this, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, these rebellious people who are in the picture here, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, they're talking about Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled by them, by, or fulfilled by them by condemning them. So they're saying they missed, God's own people continue to miss the big picture, and they killed Jesus. He's the Savior. We bring you this good news that what God promised to the fathers, that he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Beware, therefore, lest what is said of the prophets should come about. And here's verse 5. Look, you scoffers, and be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. You see, what Paul is doing as he's preaching, by quoting Habakkuk, he's saying, hey, you can be as religious as the day is long. 
But if you miss Jesus, you miss everything. That's the story that God was weaving together back in the time of Habakkuk. God's work in sending His Son, our Savior. And so let me wrap up with the first fourth point. Guys, God, give us eyes of faith to see that your ways are often misunderstood. You know, the Babylonians misunderstood God's ways. The Babylonians failed to see that they themselves were being used by God. They thought their power was their own. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, because the enemies of the Christian faith see the church languishing and find themselves coming into ascendancy, they impute their success unto their own God. They fail to understand the true meaning of history. Great powers have been raised up and have conquered for a while, but they have always become drunk with their own successes. And suddenly they, in turn, have found themselves cast down. Friends, the world misses Jesus. They miss the whole point of history when they believe that their power is their own and not brought about by God for His purposes. God's ways are often misunderstood by careless religious people, as we just saw there in Paul's sermon in Antioch. These religious leaders will miss the Messiah, the Savior, altogether if they don't put their rules and their laws aside and see that He is the Savior needed because of their rebellion. And then finally, God's ways can often be misunderstood and totally missed by those who follow after Jesus Christ. You know, Habakkuk was a God-fearer. Beyond that, he was following the one true God. And he himself was missing that God was at work at that very moment. The beautiful part that we see in Jesus Christ is he constantly is opening his arms to embrace us and say, I'm willing to engage with you. I'm willing to welcome you and to receive your repentance and your eyes of faith as you return to me time and time again. And so, friends, in conclusion, God is at work in history, even when history doesn't make sense. So here's two questions I'd love for us to ask as we go through this series and as we go through this year. Who who knows how it's going to come about? Recognize that Habakkuk was written not just with a year that you felt like you could ball up and throw away. It was a generation that was lost. Here's the two questions I'd love for us to ask. God, what are you up to in 2021? In the world? In my life? And here's the second question. How do you want me to respond in faith? Let me close this in prayer. Lord, what I don't desire is to heal wounds lightly. Father, as I look across this room, as I think about those who are watching online, Lord, there are pain points and suffering far worse than I could ever imagine. And so, Lord, I pray that you will meet those wounds with your healing balm of grace. That, Lord, we're looking at this one chunk of Scripture. But, Father, you coming at Christmas time shows us your compassion and your care and your love for us, that you would enter into our hurt and into our pain. And so, Father, for those who are struggling at the end of this, saying, but Lord, what about this? Do you not care? Father, I pray that they will look to you, Jesus, and look at you being God incarnate, and feel and sense very really that you, very realistically that you care. 
and that you are right with them, compassionate. And Father, for those who are in, in those struggles of sickness or oppression, I pray that you will actually bring your justice, that you will bring your relief to that. But Lord, for all of us who remain in a pandemic, who remain in looking on our news feeds at constant oppression and injustice, I pray that as it feels like you are being slow to act, that you will give us eyes of faith to trust that you are still at work. Lord, that you will give us eyes of faith to look and to be astonished as to what you are actually accomplishing. So Lord, go with us as we venture through this very challenging book. We pray these things in your name. Amen.